Hi everyone, welcome to Third Spacing the Podcast, where we talk about important issues in the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. I'm your host, Anhui. Today I speak with Dr. Tanya Swam, President of the Singapore Medical Association, nominated Member of Parliament, and a breast surgeon. In this episode, we talk about diversity in medicine. She shares her thoughts on being the first ever female president of the Singapore Medical Association since 1959, issues she will raise as a newly minted, nominated member of parliament. As the Singapore Medical Association is a national medical organisation representing doctors from all walks of life, we discuss what equality means to her and how her vision for the Singapore Medical Association furthers and strengthens that vision and our profession. Maybe let's talk about how you came to become a surgeon and what were your... and if there were any things which... um, experiences which you had that might have dissuaded you or persuaded you to choose surgery. In year three of medical school, I was um, assigned to um, general surgery in Tan Tock Seng. And uh, even though it's a short four-week elective, being on call with the registrars, the MOs, I think gave us an insight into what uh, surgeons do. And I think I found that uh, very captivating. I still think I'm a very mediocre student. I didn't like lectures. I doodle a lot. I fall asleep in class. But uh, when it came to actual practical work, that was really intriguing. Coming from a layman family, it was uh, fascinating that you know, anesthesia could be done safely, a tumour can be removed, intestine joined back, and the person recovers. It's really like seeing some TV drama series come to real life. So from then on, I, I felt I wanted to do surgery. Every time you go to a posting, they always capo, right, to ask, oh, you're a girl, right? Are you dating anyone? Then what do you want to do next time? Whenever I said I'm thinking of doing general surgery, they always laugh and will say, oh, Really? Ah, yeah, ladies doing general surgery, very hard life. When y'all get married, y'all will think differently. But maybe being perverse, la, the more people say you shouldn't do, the more I was sure I wanted to do. In housemanship, I tried to take part one of the MRCS, failed. Then first year MO, applied again, passed, and also applied for the BST at that time and accepted in. Then the way I planned my MO postings, I think I applied for something called the SGH BST course. So it's a guaranteed two-year surgical posting within SGH. Then, um, of course, every opportunity you have, you try to go to the OT. In our time, it was a BST followed by AST program. The AST program, I was accepted into Tan Tok Seng Hospital. So sort of you come full circle. As um, seniors become friends, of course, they will continue to ask, are you dating anyone? And um, there's one senior in particular who uh, strongly pointed me the way of uh, one of my colleagues at the time. But yes, eventually, I I did get married to that colleague. For family life, one thing I hope to take this chance to share is that I think I had a few female uh, seniors who were very good in encouraging me to stay on, to finish my traineeship. There was one point when I was thinking, oh, since I'm going to get married soon, I have kids and maybe I'll drop out of training. Her advice was, you know, no matter what, try to achieve the FRCS for yourself. It will forever be your achievement. Not that I want to curse you or anything, but marriages do fall apart. You shouldn't be devoting your life just to know your husband or your kids. And kids grow up and move out of the house eventually. Achieve something only for yourself. I persisted and finished the training. Looking at seniors who achieve, manage to have a family, you realise they go through a different set of hardships. 
a lot of the lady surgeons might have gotten married later on in life. Trying to conceive was, was a challenge. The pregnancy itself had a lot of um, minor complications. Spotting went on call. We had, uh, I had two seniors. Let's say they are the senior reg of the junior reg. In the middle of the call, they were just telling me, you know, I need to go and lie down. We are having spotting, having cramps. And these are ladies in their second trimester. So you were mentioning it was the, the difficulty of conceiving and by some of your senior surgeons. That you had children while you were training as well. So is it okay if you could share a bit about your own personal experience about having three sons? Right, so I had my first child at 32, I think, yeah. Then uh, that was during registrar training that I remember vividly. Husband and I were wondering, you know, do we uh, try for a family at that time or do we wait and see? And of course, within medicine, we are aware of the numbers and statistics. Good to try for a child before age 35. So I figured, yeah, la, might as well just try. Yeah, then I think, uh, <laughs> I hope this is not too much information because of on-call, post-call and um, the fact we're both training at the same time. If we do four to five calls per month and we do not do calls on the same day because uh, to reduce conflict of interest, clearly you would realize that out of uh, one month or 30 days, there'll be 10 nights where we are not with each other. And on the post-call day, I can reassure you, nobody has the mood to think of anything else other than sleep. So naturally, it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, but of course, uh, yes, yeah, uh, expected the first child. Uh, he had a um, potentially serious medical condition, actually. So that was um, that caused a bit of distress. I must uh, thank my department at head at the time, uh, Dr. Uh, Chu ming and uh, inform him of my plans la, to take extended no-pay leave after maternity leave until his medical condition is settled. Then the rest of the registrars at the time, of course, they took on all the extra work for that six months that I was uh, not around. Yeah, they eventually resumed training, yeah, took exams together. Exams was another challenge. For the FRCS exams, I think it happens twice a year, one between Singapore and Hong Kong, six months apart. So my ter- when it's my third take exams, it happened to be Hong Kong. So you can imagine the logistics involved. If I am away, we travel there. I think we stay there for two or three nights for the two days of oral exams. Then the husband had to take leave to make sure he can look after the son when I'm not around. Yeah, second child was as an AC. That's actually not too bad due to job availability. After I finished my exams, I actually applied for a social consultant job at KK Hospital. So within KK, the breast department is a standalone department and it's an office hours. Yeah, and we only look after breast patients with no general surgery. So that was a lot more calm. Third child, was it as a consultant? Yeah, I think so. So Dr. Dan, you are the first ever female president of the Singapore Medical Association. I can imagine that there is some pressure out there. So I was wondering, how do you feel about your role? I think it's a bit stressful because there were high hopes for me as a first female president to be able to maybe rejuvenate and uh, revamp the SMA somewhat. The SMA is a very time-honoured organisation of 61 years history. The previous past presidents, there were a lot of very honourable names. It serves as the one medical professional body that represents every doctor in Singapore, old and young, private and restructured, generalists or specialists, students as well. 
the challenge I think has always been to define what can we all achieve together. I think in the past, communication is more difficult because of course, like, through paper, mail or posters. Now with electronic means, we need to just connect better and discuss things better. My vision for the SMA is to be more inclusive, more representative. I would like to take this chance to reach out to all the young listeners here. There's now a lot of hype on female leadership and um, I think it's great that uh, worldwide we see more women in uh, prominent positions. Um, I wouldn't want to label it as a simple uh, gender difference that a female versus a male leader might necessarily do better or worse. Um, for the SMA, being the first female president, um, visually, clearly, it's, um, it's, um, it breaks the glass ceiling. And any fellow uh, female colleague can and would, you know, have the chance to be a prominent um, leader in the organization that they are in. Then secondly, I am also acutely aware that there could be a lot of social pressure if eyes are on me, you know, how I talk, how I dress, um, the way I handle um, crises within our profession. So, well, as always, I don't think that the, any leader functions in a solo position. The council provides a very um, good sounding board for me to, you know, run decisions through, bounce ideas off, and to make sure that uh, we collectively make good decisions. Um, my circle of close friends also serve to provide a very good check and balance to ensure that whatever I do is always in the best interest of the SMA, of doctors and for patients. So let's not just, yeah, well, well I guess uh, yeah, being the first female president is, is something to, to be proud of and to celebrate. I also don't want to cheapen it by saying that, oh, the first female uh, president is going to be super awesome or anything like that. Yeah, it's just been one year in this post. And yep, let's see how things go in the next few years. So you are also a newly minted, nominated member of parliament. What are some of the issues that you hope to bring up in parliament? The NMP selection process was actually really complicated and we had to write an essay, yeah, of which one of it is to, to, for us to state down what issues we'll discuss in Parliament. So um, three key issues. Firstly, I think um, being the nominated MP um, through SMA and the Academy of Medicine, um, my main representation there is to be the voice for doctors and for patients. I think um, it's the right time now to discuss um, uh, concerns such as um, healthcare economics, yeah, the change, the increasing healthcare costs, and the role that doctors, patients, insurers, and healthcare providers play in this complex issue. There's a lot of ongoing work and discussion at high level meetings. In time to come, I hope to be able to share um, some of the discussion points with our members, with the public even. Yeah, so that there can be a more meaningful um, discussion and hopefully we can make changes that are substantial and sustainable yeah, in the future years. My second issue is also to complement um, the work that previous NMPs have uh, spoken on, mental wellness. In the past one year, um, COVID-19 has brought out a lot of um, underlying stresses 
people have fallen sick, um, they've lost family members, lost their jobs, and even day-to-day -day life has um, taken a great change from our previous uh, carefree uh, routines. So in my practice, I've seen ladies with maybe a bit more anxiety, um, borderline depression, and uh, a lot of times they are not quite sure what's wrong. Not quite sick enough to see a mental health professional, but not quite feeling that their old selves. So I believe that mental wellness and, you know, physical health should be hand in hand. And we shouldn't be just looking after the body, but we forget to nurture the mind and the soul. So um, there's actually a lot of very good resources on building mental resilience um, through meditation, through journaling. So I think taking time out to look inward um, and get, um, get the... Um, like a mental health equilibrium, I think that's really important. And to actively reach out and connect with other people to provide uh, good support. And the third one complements, um, complements what I spoke earlier on about equality. So the NMP um, position is for two and a half years. Even if I cannot suddenly change Singapore society, I would like to start with our own profession first. And, you know, in my own practice, I already try to be equal to all my patients. Um, so within our profession, yeah, to treat fellow colleagues equally. And as and when I am able to, to speak up in parliament as well. Some special groups that are close to my heart would be um, like single adults, single parents and uh, other less represented groups, then um, I'll see how I can help to create equal access to opportunities for various groups of people from all backgrounds. Thanks to Dr. Kamanjit Soy and other female leaders in the past, I now have the freedom to pursue my personal goals, whether it's to you know complete my higher education, uh, establish a career, set up a family, and um, thanks to all their hard work in trying to create um, equal opportunities for males and females, I am now in a position where I can help others to achieve what they wish. I was wondering if you could pick up on the point on vision. I feel like right now, as for me, like you're very early on in your career. You, can't, you cannot really like envision the rest of your life ahead because we all know that medicine is a lifelong career. And in addition to that, you might not necessarily know if what you have in mind today, you will actually achieve it in the future. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that or if you could elaborate a bit on your point about vision. So, interestingly, during my medical school interview, one of the questions I was asked was, what do you see yourself in five years? So at that time, I was uh, I just did the math. Like, oh, in five years' time, I would be 23. Uh, if I get into medical school, I should be in my final year and preparing to start start working then their next question was oh if you have a boyfriend you get married do you think you still continue working then i think i must have looked very shocked and said of course it's it's a i train so hard to be a doctor of course i'll stay as a doctor then i think one of them still persisted to ask but you know a lot of people after they get married have kids right they drop out and they stop working maybe i was indignant or something i say no you know if i if i work so hard to get the degree i'm very sure i'll carry on working so it's only later on i found out that uh, doc women doctors who start families do have a high risk of um, stopping work or going part-time. And um, I think all these life events happen and each of us will review 
what we want for ourselves. In my own 20 years career, plus minus, uh, accounting from like student days or, or junior doctor days, I've always been sure that I wanted to be a mother someday. That was very vague even since um, uh, childhood because I had very young uh, siblings. So, and I guess my family, my parents were very good role models. So seeing myself as a mother someday was going to happen. For some reason, uh, I must thank Dr. Tan Yuan, my senior breast surgeon for being an inspiration. I cannot remember why. I think she was a registrar at the time she took my... Uh, three of us on a night call tutorial and just, you know, take along uh, behind her on every walk round. that somehow she just inspired me. As of now, I have sort of achieved what I wanted. Then um, along the way, other things happened. I got invited to join the uh, SMA Council, Singapore Medical Association Council. This was almost 12, 13 years ago. Um, the seniors there were very supportive as well. Every time I had a mini life crisis or work crisis, talk to them, and they, from their, you know, from their vantage, they will look back and share their own training difficulties, lack of job opportunities, and that just gave you the encouragement to just persist on. When I was in M1, there was a SMA introductory lecture uh, by the then president of the SMA, Dr. Chong, who was also a guest on our podcast. But um, I think our younger listeners might not have had this opportunity to have this uh, similar SMA introductory lecture. So I was wondering, um, maybe could you tell our listeners what does the SMA do? How does it do its work? Um, who comprises the SMA council? And uh, maybe for the younger listeners here, uh, specifically what does the SMA do for medical students or for trainees? As the National Medical Association, the SMA represents medical professionals across a wide spectrum, um, including those in public versus private sectors, general practitioners versus specialists, young doctors. As such, the issues we tackle are very varied. The SMA has participated and provided feedback on past issues that impact the profession. The current ongoing issues include uh, policies, such as the um, amendments in the uh, Medical um, Registration Act, the ECEG, uh, PHMCX. For doctors in private practice, one big topic now is um, the managed care um, versus uh, insurance indemnity covers, as well as discussion on fee benchmarks. Um, a lot of these are by volunteer doctors who take time out from their practices to engage the MOH and other stakeholders. So we have to thank them for giving up their time to be involved in this kind of uh, national discussions. For younger doctors, um, the Doctors in Training Committee um, engage them, meet with them to discuss issues on residency, on course system, and maybe even the future of how medical training should be like as we try to embrace a general generalist rather than specialist. For patients, the work is complementary. Um, issues and concerns over patient confidentiality in making the um, national uh, electronic healthcare system accessible to all, um, the rights of the patient to knowing how and why insurance um, companies charge the way they do, all this should be discussed and um, patients need to be represented. In the past year, dealing with COVID was quite stressful for the SMA. We meet 
once a month from 9pm to 12 midnight to go through a list of agenda of uh, issues facing the medical profession. So you can imagine, we choose 9pm because GPs need to run evening clinics. So it's after they finish evening clinics, then we can start the meeting. Yeah. Then um, during the normal work day, if there's any project uh, outstanding to follow on, each of us need to take time out. So doctors in private may need to, you know, yeah, close clinic, yeah, stop seeing patients, which uh, to put it very bluntly is a loss of revenue. Then uh, doctors in restructure need to take leave, personal leave, to attend to volunteer work. So I know that a lot of people don't really understand what the SMA does. With time, I hope to share more in the SMA news, in the columns. So a lot of changes and revamps are happening. And I would like, you know, all SMA members to be part of this change. Um, I want to register my thanks to our staff for stepping up and doing beyond their regular duties to support doctors in our COVID um, support for our members. Um, there was a lot of active engagement with doctors on the ground, with MOH, um, in combination with the um, College of Family Physicians of Singapore and the Academy of Medicine. Practical logistical assistance, such as coordinating mass skills, uh, distribution of the hand sanitizer, um, were done. Um, we've also done tried our best to update um, policy um, changes, um, guidelines on screening, especially in the early weeks when there was a lot of confusion. Uh, we did this through emails and also through social media means. Um, we also tried to curate ground feedback and link them up with um, representatives from the MOH. Softer support included mental health initiatives. Um, I need to thank the Singapore Psychological Society and the Singapore Psychiatric Association for their um, strong support in providing um, counselling services and in the sharing of website resources. We've also reached out to the public with a social media hashtag, uh, SGArt for HCW, and collaborations with National Art Gallery. If you have an Instagram account, do look for this hashtag, SGArt for HCW, and uh, enjoy the artwork. The SMA has been engaging both local and overseas medical students and uh, doctors in training um, through a few means. We've um, got some who on Telegram chats. We've um, been emailing the leaders, the student council members on a regular basis. Um, there, before COVID, there were face-to-face -face talks as well. Yeah, so I think the ongoing engagement is important so that as... Um, as, um, as the SMA progresses, we keep in touch and we understand what are the current concerns and needs of students and young doctors on the ground. And uh, hopefully we can give some input, some guidance um, when necessary or to lend more, um, maybe more official help when necessary for the students to achieve uh, the aims. Um, another thing I've been exploring and I'm in strong support of is to create a safe mentoring space. Um, for the doctors in training or students to be able to ask questions that they may be uncomfortable with. Um, my, own, my own experience, I remember, I had students asking me in a workplace setting about uh, pay, remuneration, work-life balance. And I remember I didn't feel comfortable answering that because um, work and pay might differ from hospital to hospital. Maybe it takes a doctor who's outside of the system to be able to give a broader um, overview. 
yeah, so that the students can make a, I don't know, a more informed uh, decision on training uh, options and, you know, that affects our career for lives. Um, so this is still in the works. I would like to create more communication channels with current practicing doctors to reach out to the students and doctors in training so that there can be an honest um, discussion. Yeah. I would also want to let the SMA be the voice of the profession by better understanding our general members' needs and concerns and collectively we can reflect these up to the relevant authorities. So, Dr Tan, since you shared that part of your vision for the Singapore Medical Association is for it to be more diverse and more inclusive, um, I think then we must talk about equality as well. The way that I think about equality is that people are not able to achieve their fullest potentials or their dreams or even be treated with dignity and with respect that a human being should be accorded to based solely on who they're born to, who they're born as, where they are born, um, and it's got nothing to do with an individual's humanity or merit. So I was wondering, um, Dr. Tan, uh, clearly inequality is a complex issue, and I don't want to be reducing it, but that still doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it, or we shouldn't have a stand on it, which is that, of course, we want equality, and of course, we should work towards that vision. So maybe, Dr. Tan, um, I'll be very curious to hear what your thoughts are on equality. We remember studying this book, uh, Animal Farm by George Orwell. And um, one of the lines that struck me was, um, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. I Even at, um, as a young teenager, that left a really deep impact on me. And over the years, you know, look around and you observe for yourself do we truly have equality in society? I'm not just talking about Singapore here, but throughout the world. Um, and of course, clearly, no. You know, There's a lot of problems around. Um, people are treated differently due to their race, their religious uh, beliefs, uh, their nationalities, their background. We look different. We sound different. Yeah, And uh, it's sometimes very tempting to take sides as a you versus me or even to think that I am better than you simply because of XXX reason. So I can't solve the world's problems, but I hope to at least try to um, enable a fair practicing environment for all doctors within Singapore. I hope that's within my reach. Yeah. So regardless of the doctor's agenda, the age group, a marital status, or even uh, sexual identity, yeah, sexual orientation, can we truly treat each other as equals within our field? And then in extension now, patients should all be equal in our eyes. Uh, in my clinic, I try to treat all patients equally, you know, regardless of their race, their um, which country they come from, whether rich or poor, and uh, whoever they bring as their partner. All patients have the right to be treated um, as they are, right? Their concerns, their medical issues, and to do my best to treat the condition and also to provide some additional um, support as to their unique life situation. Um, in breast cancer care, 
I would have patients who are maybe uh, in a stable relationship with a guy but not married yet and contemplating um, uh, egg preservation. How do I help them to link up the necessary doctors and resources to achieve that? Likewise, if I have a patient who is um, gay and has a female partner here, they might have certain concerns that are specific to their situation and I have to do my best to help them as best as I can. Yeah, If that means doing extra research, extra reading, so that I can give them the best possible care. That is my job as a doctor. Bringing the discussion of quality back to our profession, um, I have some really close friends who complain that oh, because they're single or they're married but no kids, um, they've been forced to take the on-call yeah, the on-call slots during the June and December holidays all the time or they always have to do the calls over the long weekends and it's not fair. So I, I don't know. Every department runs separately depending on manpower needs, um, expertise and seniority of the consultants, um, junior doctors' manpower as well. But I hope to remind everyone to try as best as we can to ensure that you know the roster is fair and everybody takes a due turn in um, covering the difficult cause that nobody else wants to do or to take leave during a popular um, periods. Yeah, I think that's the very least we can try to achieve equality in our day-to-day work. So something I, I always was curious about was how do you really differentiate between like good advice um, and things which people say which are meant to be hurtful? I know like good advice might not necessarily be something which we want to hear, even though we need to hear. But sometimes it can be difficult to differentiate it from from cutting, even if well-intentioned comments or advice from people. I mean, hearing your story about how people have said things to you when you were on this journey of becoming a surgeon. So you must know a thing or two about, about differentiating um, hurtful comments from people who are doing it to hurt or sabotage you um, as compared to people who are there to help you. Actions still speak louder than words. People who might um, say bad things or negative things to me, when I need them in times of crisis and they come and bail me out, I think these are the true friends and seniors or mentors you can rely on. And so over time, you find out who are your true friends. Lah. And so I would take whatever they say with more weight weightage than someone who you know casually comments something, whether good or bad, and then pass from my life. Or worse still, if later on you find that that person might have sabotaged you in some way, either uh, in clinical work um, or in terms of, uh, this is really bad, in terms of uh, work and office politics, you would then look back at everything that person said to you but then this is very heavy stuff. On a lighter note, even when, let's say, people look at you and make some casual comment, oh, you know, if you uh, wear contacts, you'll look prettier. I think first, you know, get your own response to that. If you feel really hurt by that, why? Analyze your own response. I'm old enough to realize you, you really, really can't change other people. What you can change is yourself. And if the person means nothing to you, then, you know, no need to take whatever the person says to heart. If it came from someone who means a lot to you, if you disagree with that person and you find it very hurtful, take the time to discuss with that person 
So, of course, in your immediate family, surely the parents would have said things that, you know, make you feel very hurt at some point. Um, people with a steady partner, right, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend will say something that's really you feel unjust for. But if they truly care for you, it came from a place of good. So, after your initial hurt dies off, take the time to step back and reflect and then uh, reopen that conversation. So, what I do is um, I have a good bunch of uh, old friends from secondary school, from JC, non-doctors. And I think it's great to sometimes take some of the conversations out and throw the ideas with them. You know, oh, my boss said this to me. Do you think he's been nasty? Or is it true? Um, areas of work, teachers, accountants, lawyers, they feel that, you know, it was a fair statement or it was an unjust accusation. You just feel a bit more confident in what you did. Yeah. I think context is important, good support is important. In any aspect of your life, vision is important. But if you have a strong vision of the kind of person you want to be, go for it. 